and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast, where we invite a writer published in the Deep Overstock Literary Journal to read and discuss a piece from our archives. Yes, this is the exact same structure as the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. Thank you, Deborah Treisman. I'm your host, Zeb Wagman, and this week we have Robert Eversman on the show, reading a story published in the New Arrivals issue of July 2020, Maneater, by Melissa Kerman. The only truth your dates have is your first name, and that's all you ever give. Who will you be tonight? Certainly not an orphan, or a stalker, a threat, sociopath, whatever else the restraining order pegs you as. This story was chosen by Robert Eversman, editor-in-chief of Deep Overstock. He is collaborating with Lily Walsh on Zombie Mountain, an illustrated novel about three boys and the witch that saves them. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you, Zach. Very happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. So, let's get right into it. Why did you choose this story today? I really like Melissa's style. And just as a, as a, a teaser, we have a really good submission from Melissa for Mysteries coming out very soon. Uh, anyway, I won't say anything more. It's very good. Um, I love Maneater. Just Melissa has great style in her writing throughout. I really like stories with a um, kind of succinct well-written structure, and this has a very nice structure. Uh, it's easy to retell the story to someone because the story is, it's a real story. You know, it feels like a story. I don't have a good way to say that, but it feels like a damn good story. And then I think my favorite thing about it is the details. I keep learning how important details are, and I think Melissa chooses wonderful details in this story. I think you're totally right about that. Melissa has really knocked it out of the park with the story. Um, it's in some ways a very simple story to tell. Uh, the, like the plot isn't anything too complicated. In fact, the plot doesn't even really happen during the time of the story. Um, and yet it is so compelling. And you're right, the details, she's got a little detail here and there throughout the piece that is just tells you everything you need to know about the character or the situation that's going on. Um, and I feel like every time I reread the piece, more of those details just keep jumping out at me. Absolutely. I love the, there's kind of an undercurrent of things that happened in the past that have come to define this character. And she does tell us a little bit about that, but we don't get many details. Uh, we're almost as in the dark as the date. Yeah, she leaves a whole lot up to the imagination. All right, before we say anything more, let's hear you read the piece for us. See if we can catch any of those details in your reading. All right, here we go. All right, here's Robert Eversman reading Maneater by Melissa Kerman. Maneater by Melissa Kerman. Umberto's cooks the juiciest veal cutlet in the entire city. You know this because you've eaten veal cutlet at every Italian restaurant in the entire city. You've given second chances. With the sand-haired boy two weeks ago, you revisited Buteras and then Pomodorino with the freckled boy last week. But at both places, the dish still tasted like copper. As you sipped your third glass of Merlot and feasted on cold garlic bread, you realized this is why you stick with what you know won't disappoint. At 7.50, you peer over your steering wheel as your date shuffles toward the restaurant he had offered to pick you up, but you told him you live far, so you'd meet him instead. It's safer this way. Your date fiddles with his bomber jacket collar. His posture rivals the hunchback 
and although you've parked yards away, you could tell he's not six feet tall like his profile claims, maybe five ten at most. Strike one. What else is he lying about? You unlock your phone, pausing to recall which dating app you two matched on. Ah, yes. Now you remember. You open his profile. You conduct your research in the days prior, but it's useful to brush up that evening, looking for a smart girl to make dumb decisions with. Not your first encounter with that tagline, but you prefer a cliched bro over an exhaustive info dump, and the photos are what determine your swipe's direction anyway. In the first, he wears khakis and a Serengeti National Park shirt. Two monkeys perch atop his shoulders. After a quick Google search, you learned that last summer he worked as a safari guide in Tanzania. You hope he isn't a vegan. You dated one of those once. The whole dinner, the guy eyed your plate with a look one reserves for clogged toilets. In his second photo, he dons a tuxedo. He links arms with a girl in a wedding dress who is a female version of him. According to his social media, he and his twin sister studied at the same university, and her husband was his fraternity brother. You stalked the sister's page, too. She's an equestrian and graduated from the top veterinary program in the country. She reminds you of the girls your foster mother urged you to emulate, but those girls pelted you with brown paper bags in the cafeteria. Your phone buzzes. Just arrived. Let me know when you're here. Smiley face emoji. He can wait a couple minutes. You switch back to his profile. The third photo is a selfie. He's handsome in an obvious way. Chiseled jaw and eyes like a verdant countryside. He looks like a hybrid of seven other guys you dated, but what earned him your right swipe was his hair. You only date blondes. You had a great love once. That man was your son. The air you breathed, the blood in your veins. You still gaze at the photos under your mattress. He was perfect. You still sleep in his old football t-shirts and replay his voicemails like a lullaby. You imagine his velvet voice transcending your recordings and asking for you back. You conjure him so vividly, from his shaggy blonde hair to the birthmark on his left cheek, it feels like he's there, as if he never left. Some mornings you think it was all a bad dream, but you remember you're forbidden to contact him and have no information now. The moon hovers in your rearview mirror, crescent tonight. Awesome, be there in five, you text back. Punctuation smiley faces aren't your thing, not that it matters what your thing is, because your thing can be whatever you want. You can be whatever you want, and men can't perform the ubiquitous predate social media autopsy because you don't exist on social media. You haven't since the breakup. The only truth your dates have is your first name, and that's all you ever give. Who will you be tonight? Certainly not an orphan, or a stalker, a threat, sociopath, whatever else the restraining order pegs you as. You usually curate your life around that of your dates, so perhaps tonight you will be a twin. You've always wanted an identical sister. You two could have pranked all the kids in your foster home. Maybe tonight you'll have a pet snake. Last week you two had pet squirrels and a hedgehog. You adjust the ruby heart dangling from your neck, the last Valentine's Day gift from your love. Sometimes you incorporate it into your fictitious life. You've said you inherited the necklace from your baroness great-grandmother, your father is a jeweler, and he created it for your 16th birthday. It was a souvenir from vacation in Aruba. You found it in a Manhattan taxi cab at 3 a.m. Tonight you'll say you bought matching necklaces while you and your twin studied abroad in Greece. You hop out of your car, 
and saunter to the restaurant, your date is probably waiting for your arrival at the bar, debating whether he should go for a handshake or a hug. People are predictable. The host will escort you two to the table, and he'll start with small talk, either a comment about the weather, or he'll inquire about your day. That'll be the segue into asking if you worked, and if so, what do you do? To, if you went to school, and if so, where and what did you study? To your long-term goals, to your hobbies, to if you're watching any shows on Netflix. When he speaks, you will listen. You will ask questions. He will feel seen. He will feel heard. Your charm will mesmerize him like a child at Fourth of July fireworks. He'll be so enamored, he won't even have thought about sleeping with you. And when he walks you to your car, he'll say it's been a while since he felt this excited after a first date. You'll blush, and when he asks to see you again, you'll tell him you'd like that. But that's the last he will hear from you again. Just walked in, you text as you enter, spotting his blonde hair at the dim bar. You chirp his name and he turns. His eyes light up like a fresh lamp bulb. He walks in your direction, smiling shyly when he approaches. Hi, you say beaming. I'm thrilled to meet you. All right, Bobby, that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. I feel a little scared after reading that, you know. Am I going to be? Well, I mean, there is, I would call this a piece, uh, a horror piece. I, there's a lot of horror baked into it. Some of it very apparent, um, like the the narrators hinting at their past, the stalker, threat, sociopath stuff. But there's also a lot of subtle aspects in this that I would call horror that I just find so cool again it's the those little details that you were talking about before right like the the veal that tastes like copper in the beginning or some of the like internet stalking that that the narrator does it's just really cool yeah i agree there's all of these little notes of things that are unsettling and i think the coppery taste of the meat is really good and also beginning with a title called man eater uh you know, and talking about steak and digging into steak and taking bites of this red bloody meat and then even going on a date with a vegan who just stares at this person thinking, my God, oh my God, what I, are you doing? I love that detail. Oh my God, I can just see that how that date rolls out. It gives me the chills. But yeah, you're right. Like with the title Man Eater and getting right into the... Uh, specifically the veal right like this is not this is not a cow this is a baby animal that we're talking about eating right in the beginning it's just so it's off-putting and it expect and it makes me expect as i read more for there to be some huge horrific event but instead it's just these like needles of horror throughout the piece that's true little bits of horror throughout the piece uh, I'm just looking at this one section now where she's describing the date showing up. His posture rivals the hunchback. Even things like that, you know, little little slight horror details to get us primed. And these these slight reveals, like you mentioned, too, maybe she's lying. I mean, she's obviously lying about things that everyone seems to lie about using Tinder or whatever app. She doesn't even say exactly what app she's using she even forgets as if she's used so many apps um but this idea of saying that you're six feet tall when you're not uh 
as her date does, and he turns out to be, well, as she claims, hunchbacked. So kind of playing someone and kind of leading someone on in a certain way that, that these apps allow you to do also has its own horror element. So the subject matter is kind of horrific in its in its own way, and she's really highlighting that using all of these details that you pointed out. Um, and one thing that I really think is, it, well, the whole thing is interesting, but one part that I really like is when she starts talking about who will I be today? Uh, so I want to read this quote. So she she asks the question, and it's broken up in a really nice way because we have full paragraph, then just this question right before another paragraph. It says, who will you be tonight? And then again, what you referenced earlier, uh, not a stalker, not a threat, not a sociopath, hinting that she's been called these things before by that restraining order. But she might be tonight a twin because her date is a twin. And she always tries to um, not copy, but kind of make her identity, mold her identity according to her new date. I find that really interesting and almost has its own horror element too, like the thing or something. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of the exaggeration of what you were saying earlier about how modern day dating allows us to lie on our profiles about certain things, like her date lying about how he's six feet, right? And I do think it's interesting that she gives him a strike one for lying about his height. And then she asks, like, what else is he lying about? And yet then later goes on to say that she's making up her entire personality for this date. That's it's kind of a double standard there. That is, that's a good, that's a fun double standard too, because it's a double standard that uh, is steeped in this horror, you know, like I, I'm trying to get someone who's, who never lies, who's innocent. I lie about it. I you know I've created this whole identity and now he's lying. Yeah. That, that really does. create 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think this speaks to a lot of like, dating culture in general right now. Um, I think this piece highlights a lot of that, but I think specifically with the horror elements in this piece, it really talks about the fears of how dating culture works for women and for non-masculine presenting people. Um, like this is very much a reversal of those fears, right? We're talking about like, especially the lying and you can never know who you're going on the date with um are they just trying to charm you or it, it's it seems very it seems like melissa has very much taken those fears and tried to flip them and yet at the same time the main character still has some of those fears like meeting at the restaurants because it's safer rather than him picking her up i just i find this to be like a very very interesting statement on dating culture you're right. There is a kind of interesting tension that comes out of that reversal where she is the man eater and he is a um, kind of an amalgam of all of these boys that she's picked up before a hybrid. She calls them of all of her past dates. So she's kind of the alpha here. But... Yeah, I, I just think that often women, when they go on dates, I, I've certainly heard this from a lot of friends that like they're never sure about them, right? They can do the Facebook stalking, but I I think we were we were talking about that double standard earlier, but I think usually that the, the that double standard works in the opposite direction, right? Women 
they use like a, a quote unquote grant glamour shot as mm. their as their profile picture um and they're condemned for it whereas men often lie all the time and it's it's not a big deal usually and so here we're we're seeing the flip side of that um we're seeing those those same standards that men often hold women up to being uh being addressed towards the the man in the story all of the men who are 5'10 saying they're they're 6 feet yeah and i mean he's well and he's being hit being he's striking out on a comparatively small thing like lying about his height when she's lying about so many bigger things and again i think that's something that is often seen in the reverse right women get hit because they use a a nice photo rather than a schlubby photo and whereas men lie about all sorts of things on their profile and get away with it that's true that's true Zach, what do you think about the, I really love the, even though, okay, so even though she has been labeled as a stalker and a sociopath and she can no longer contact her old love, I think that's the person, yeah, she's forbidden to contact him. So I really liked going back into her past and how perfect things were because yes, this could be, it's always, I mean, it's always nice to complicate a horror story, I guess, and, you know, to make the character well-rounded so we have what the character lost and what was so important to her i really like that kind of detail it really when when you did the interview uh with elizabeth neal about christy lovato's story you talked about how that story could just be revenge fantasy but it's made more complex and i think that this could just be kind of luring or trapping horror fantasy but we have what the character lost and it becomes a real person. So I really like that detail. Yeah, I, I think this backstory explains a lot about the main character and why they act the way they do, right? And certainly some of this is pretty explicit in Melissa's text, right? Like she only uh, dates blondes and mm-hmm. her great love was blonde. Um, but some of it's more hinted in like the way he treats her again going back to the stalker threat sociopath that are the labels in the restraining order and yet again we see we see the main character internet stalking this this guy quite a bit um and going so far as to look up his sister's profiles and that sort of stuff yeah, I was I was following her for, you know, at the beginning of the story. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense to look someone up. See, everyone does that. You know, they lived somewhere interesting. OK, what was their old job? And then when she started talking about her sister's profile, I was like, OK, that that might be stepping over a line. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just it, though. Like time and again, I feel like with this piece, Melissa takes a fairly normal act, like looking up your dates facebook profile or whatever and then takes it the it's next step too far. pushes it a little too far <laughs> yeah like, oh hmm is she really going to consume this person as if they were a piece of meat <laughs> it does seem that way right uh, but then again i do love how the piece ends right like it's called man eater we open with her eating baby animal flesh we have all this like horrific stalking and uh, like her recreating herself and we have those labels of sociopath and then in the end though like 
she, the way she ends it, the way the main character ends it with just saying like, he won't even have thought about sleeping with you. Um, he'll, he'll walk you to your car. He'll say it's been a while since he felt this excited after a first date. You'll blush. Then he asks to see you again. You tell him that you'd like that, but that's the last he will ever hear from you again. Right? Like this, this main character isn't actually out to really do any damage. Mm. She's not beating this guy up. She's not going to take him back to her place and murder him. It's, kind of just a date it's a way for her to maybe put on a little bit of a performance but there's nothing inherently wrong with any of this really you're right yeah it's just normal normal people stuff but i guess when you when you have the liberties of writing something you you get to choose the details you get to inject the horror and kind of hide you know make the horror that is in these normal people details shine through which is interesting because then you start thinking about you know using these apps or friends who use these apps and you start to think oh my is everything a horror story is tinder a horror (laughs) device Um, yes yes it is (laughs) (laughs) the ultimate horror device um the i wanted to return to one detail i forgot to mention that you know we talked about her becoming this this full rounded character by including these backstories one it's 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 almost it's easy to miss because it's like the end of a sentence it's not even a full sentence but it shows a full scene and shows the character's past really well because as you mentioned when she starts looking at the sister's page uh she then brings up her own past i just want to read this part it says so talking about the sister here She reminds you of the girls your foster mother urged you to emulate, but those girls pelted you with brown paper bags in the cafeteria. That detail is like, oh my God, this is the the character's past. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, Melissa is just slipping in little details here and there to really show us what type of person this character is and where they came from. Uh, yeah, I think so. And slipping in those details, you're right. I think that's something I want to start thinking about in my own writing is something that sophisticated is hard to do. But when you think about, you know, options to include in your story, if you put one that's that visual and that that um, gives people such like I had a, a strong emotional reaction when I read that. So if you include details like that, just one works apparently extremely well as we've seen in <laughs> Melissa's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's very much like this is her uh, her carry moment, right? Like this is mm. this is Stephen King right here. But again, it doesn't end in bloodshed. It doesn't it ends in a perfectly fine night. So we think it ends right before the fun. Well, night. yes. Yeah. Yes, but the main character like her intention is not to cause any bloodshed her intention is not to eat this guy alive the intention is just for her to go on the date and then never see him again and i it goes back to how like wicked our dating culture is right like Mm. this this person is i would say pretty clearly like problematic i mean like she's at the very least the lying is terrible right like this this guy never actually meets the person he's dating um yeah i wonder yeah that's an interesting cultural thing i wonder yeah is it terrible to go on a date and for your own entertainment and their entertainment to have one okay night together talking and to be an actor 
for that night. It's a, I mean, know, maybe it's bad, I, it's bad, but it is kind of a gray area. It's like, is it really yeah. that bad? You're right. Okay. I, I wouldn't, yeah. I certainly wouldn't call her a sociopath, right? That, right? Like that, I wouldn't, I don't see. But the court does. Well, that's just it. I wonder if the court, like, I want to know what happened because hmm. obviously, like, she didn't meet her great love doing this, right? Like, this is a way for her to vent some of her emotions and to hmm. maybe play out some of her, I, I don't want to say fantasies, but it's certainly a coping mechanism is what I'm trying to say. But the, like, the stalker, the threat, the sociopath, whatever, hmm. whatever happened between her and her love was was pretty big. It was pretty big. And I love the way that it's framed here too, because it's also kind of emotionally ambiguous, or at least it gives us a really good sense of this character being unreliable because it says, you know, it's right after that little line that says, who will you be tonight? And then it says, you know, certainly not an orphan or a stalker or a threat or a sociopath, whatever else the restraining order pegs you as. I've kind of hammed it up there, but it does almost sound like, you know, with the whatever else the restraining order pegs you as. It's like, yeah, whatever they told me you can't do. You know, it's almost like, yes, these are probably just innocent dates where the, the, the men go on living. But it sounds like this character could also be like, you know, some call it cannibalism. Some call it manslaughter. I, I just call it a nice date. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you never know who you're meeting on these apps, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they could be killers behind their eyes. Yeah, these dating apps are strange. I mean, I think you said it earlier. They're evil. I don't know if they're evil. I mean, culture's changing. Western culture is changing. Is it okay to get more and more fake? Were we ever really genuine to begin with? I don't know. There's so much about self-improvement. To what degree can you improve yourself that's genuine? To what degree are you just perfecting a story about yourself? I mean, you're still telling a story about yourself. Even if you never went to Greece, there are certain dreams and things that you've kind of crafted about yourself. When you tell someone, you frame things, I guess. You frame things in a certain way. And so it's certainly not lying, but it is putting things, you piece things together and you, you curate your life in front of someone. And I I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the dating apps do wonders in some ways right certainly like dating beforehand you just had to meet the right person whereas now like you can connect to people who are like-minded or and who you might match with better but as we see in this piece it certainly leaves an opening for predators that's true yeah i guess it gives predators more access it's a tool i mean it's a it's a tool to be used either way right it's a tool to meet a community and meet people who you never would have just bumped into on the street, but also it, it's a tool that can be used to do a lot of harm. Do people need to be together at all? I do think Tinder has a place, but it also has a lot of pro problems with it that come along that with place it. place is hell. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of problems that come out of it. No, I, I really love Melissa's writing. She's, as we've talked about, those details are there. She's got a really great sense on... I mean, we ha we haven't even mentioned that this whole story is in the second person. Um, the way the way she's presented this story, it's it's just beautiful, and I'm not actually wanting a sequel, right? Like it, I do think that this story tells it. It's presented in its entirety, right? Like I'm not really, I don't really need to know how this date actually goes. The main character's perception of the date is 
hunting enough. That's true. Yeah. And it is all, it is a whole story about perception and what could happen and kind of almost like hopes, but not really hopes. It's like, it's intentions. Yeah. And to read a whole story like that and to be this thrilled reading it is very interesting to utilize the kind of thrill of meeting someone for the first time, to use the thrill of creating a horrific atmosphere or something that feels like it could turn into a horror. And all of this anticipation really creates great suspense that keeps you very engaged, very excited throughout the whole story. And then it does end before anything happens. And you're like, oh, it still yeah. feels so complete. To it does. I, I can't wait to swipe right on Melissa's next piece. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Bobby. Uh, where can I, our listeners find more of your work? I'm focusing mostly on editing now, but I am fortunate enough to work with the great Lily Walsh. And she will be publishing her book, which I am contributing author, but mostly an editor. So we will be releasing that this summer. And that's the book about three boys and the witch. It's called Zombie Mountain. And there's a creepy corporation called the Rain Chain, which starts controlling climates. Everyone gets to have a personal climate and starts destroying the neighborhood until the old magic of the witches. Well, I won't spoil the ending, but it's a lot of fun. That sounds great. Oh, well, thank you so much, Bobby. Thank you, Zach. That was Robert Eversman reading and discussing Maneater by Melissa Kerman from our new arrivals issue published in July 2020 with cover art by Nikki Collins. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Our theme music is the song Take Me Higher by Jazz Off. Join us again in two weeks and don't forget to submit to our next issue, Future, before May 31st. Visit deepoverstock.com submissions for specific guidelines.